0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Who Became podcast and for those of you that are new here, my name is Simon Osimo and you can join me for weekly conversations with some really interesting people as I explore their personal stories, transformations and experiences that help educate, inform and inspire. On today's episode I'm joined by John Correa who is a nationally known defensive encounter expert. His YouTube channel, Active Self Protection, has over 30 million views per month, and in this episode, John shares how he transitioned from church pastor to tactics trainer, how he remains humble with his newfound fame, and how he discovered his call to pursue defensive tactics as a career. But before we dive into this week's content, I want to remind you that you can listen to the podcast, wherever you consume your content, and the video can be found on my YouTube channel at Simon Osimo. Now, if you get something from this conversation, or believe that others will, it would mean the world to me if you would like and share it with your circle of influence. Okay, so let's dive straight into this week's conversation with John Courier, the founder of Active Self Protection.
1: Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Well,
0: John Courier, welcome to the Who I Became podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Simon. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, John, it's really, um, you know, you've been on my wish list for a long time for someone to talk to. And I mentioned to you offline that when I moved here from the UK nine years ago, that I sort of stumbled across some of your work and I've used some of your work and I consider you to be an expert in defensive encounters. And I know that many more do as well. You know, your YouTube channel, got the statistics here, has between sort of 15 and 30 million views per month. I uh, had a Facebook outreach of over 1 million per week. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe one day the Lord will bless me and I'll, and I'll be like John, John Korea there.
1: You know, uh, I tell people all the time, uh, I, I love influencing folks and helping them and being a trusted advisor on social media, but recognize, man, that having a large social media following is uh, not necessarily a blessing. Uh, it, it can be a, a bit of, it's a lot of work. How about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, but that is true. And there's also there's positives and there's negatives that come with it as well. I mean, I know that... Uh, again, you know, even being a, a black English guy here in the US when George Floyd, um, George Floyd sorry, was sadly lost his life, I commented on a few points and, and my uh, viewpoint was uh, very aggressively um, shouted down and I sort of chose to retreat from social media. So it has its um, benefits, but also, you know, there, there can be some disadvantages to a large large following.
1: Yeah, 2020 is a, uh, a time of great uncertainty and people are taking a lot of anger out on social. And so man, uh, you know, anybody that's got a viewpoint about anything uh, is definitely going to be up for people telling them how stupid they are.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, John, let's tell people a little bit about who you are. So I know you're the founder an owner of active self-protection and your your tagline is cover your asp. And I was telling you that the first time I heard that, I was like, is he covering his ass, as we say in England, or ass here in America? Uh, and a yeah, yeah. friend actually had to correct me and say no, Simon, he's saying cover your ASP. So maybe we'll tell the, the listeners a bit about your your tagline and your, your company as to what you actually do. Yeah,
1: yeah. We we came up with the tagline uh from the name, obviously, cover your ASP. Uh and and uh ASP is not only an acronym for the company, active self-protection, but it stands for our uh, kind of approach to self-defense, which is a primarily attitude and then skills and then plan for uh, taking care of yourself and your loved ones and protecting yourselves from criminal violence. So I founded the company in 2011 that uh, basically is a side hustle uh, to teach defensive handgun skills. And then the social media presence started really in 2013 and really took off in 2016. And so now it's my full-time gig. So really full-time now I make YouTube videos. Um, And our main channel, uh, which is uh, helpfully called Active Self-Protection, is about 1.94 million subscribers today. We reach uh, 30 million, 25 to 40 million is kind of our current uh, views every month. And people send me real-life surveillance videos of defensive encounters, armed robberies, carjackings, muggings, home invasions, things like that badge cams and I do after action reports on them and teach people uh, from them the principles of real life self defense and then we have a second channel which uh, we call active self protection extra which is where we teach Uh, I teach handgun skills there I teach moral and legal self defense there we do gear reviews there I do legal briefs uh, we do class reviews uh, kind of all the things that I want to do as an instructor that are not uh, the main channels so uh the the business has really grown from a little side hustle of me teaching classes to today i uh, i'd have to add them all up but i think we have 11 employees including myself today five of us full-time employees and um it's a labor of love so it's a crazy thing that that uh the lord has given me and and i'm grateful for it
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, John, you know, not only, um, you know, do you produce great work, and I encourage anyone to go and take a look at your your YouTube um, channel, you have a natural gift in how you sort of break these incidents down. But, um, you know, one of the main reasons when I sort of first saw you online, I was thinking I'd love to talk to John sometime and understand his story is that, you know, coming from England, Um, You know, our our sort of faith is quite set, sort of Church of England, Methodist, evangelical, you know, but when we think of religious leaders in England, they're generally sort of white middle class people with a sort of dog collar and stuff. Um, and there's a sort of a stereotypical image of a, of a sort of a pastor or religious leader that comes in your mind. Um, and one that I haven't said as yet, what I really want to talk to you is that your background, you actually were a pastor for 11 years. So I hear all this stuff about defensive tactics and firearms training, well, where I'm from, John, but those two just don't really go together. Yeah. You know, So it's um, so that's what I wanted to talk to you to really understand. You know, you were be the pa- pastor of West Greenway. Bible Church, um, I believe, yep. in, in Arizona, where you're from, for mm-hmm. 11 years. So maybe tell us a little bit about your your faith stories. So how did you end up being a being a pastor?
1: Yeah, total total time as a pastor, of uh, over 14 years, in fact. So if I tell the whole story, I didn't grow up in church at all. I grew up very secular in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, of California. Uh, I tell people that we worship the San Francisco 49ers, and Joe Montana in particular. Um, praise be unto him. And uh so I uh, didn't grow up in church at all. Though my grandma was uh, Catholic and my mom was kind of a fallen Catholic, uh didn't really practice at all, never went to church. Then I joined the Navy in, in ninety five, joined the US Navy and married my wife right after I got out of boot camp. And um, first two years in the Navy, were all training. I was training to operate a nuclear reactor and I got picked up uh, for a very prestigious commissioning program. So they is called a nuclear enlisted commissioning program. They had something like 2000 applicants took 25 of them a year and basically uh, sent them to college for three years and then made them an officer. I got picked up for that. And so we moved to Oregon um, and uh, for me to go to Oregon State University and become a naval officer and it wasn't long after that that uh, you know i said look i need to be a better person right i'm going to be an officer now so i need to quit smoking i need to lose some weight i need to be an example i want to be a better husband i want to be a better father we had a six-week-old when we moved there uh, my oldest who is now uh, 23. and uh so then not long after that a guy knocked on the door of my apartment when i wasn't home and invited my wife to his church well my wife had become uh, was a christian uh, she became a christian as a teenager but then fell away from jesus Uh, because Jesus got in the way of her dance career and, uh, her, she's a professional ballerina. And so she's like, i want to get back to church. Well, long story short, I let her drag my butt to church and, um, they fed me is what they did is that after church, they were like, Hey, we have a potluck after church. Uh, you should stay. And man, if you want to make a sailor happy, feed him. Right. So I was like, uh, food, sure. Let's do that. And they did potluck like four weeks in a row for different stuff. And by the time they quit feeding me, I'd made some friends. So we started going, um, that was in '97. Fast forward to Easter of '98, the pastor preached about the historicity of the resurrection and and how you have to contend with that. That started me reading the Bible. I started getting together with the outreach pastor, and then uh, July 26, '98, got uh, sitting in church. This was this was uh, uh, I'm one of those who actually came to Christ to at church and worship services. That the pastor's wife was leading worship, and she said, you know, um, I, I had this knowledge that I knew that Jesus was real, that he was the son of God, but then it wasn't until I, I knew, like I, I came one day to an understanding that he loved me with my sins, that he loved me right where I was, that I gave my life to him, and God rang my soul like a bell. I will never forget that feeling, like just like gong, like he, like he hit me with a big hammer. And... And it just, that just resonated. I love you right where you are. And I was like, okay, Lord, this isn't like a a make John better program. If I'm good enough, you'll love me. This isn't a, um, you know, a a moral crusade, but this is, you love me in the big pile of crap. I am. Um, yes, I love you right there. Okay. I'm done. Fine. And, uh, he just flooded into me. Like you wouldn't believe. So I tell people all the time I was 22, It was July, 26, 98, and I know what life is like without the Holy Spirit. And my friends who grew up in the faith and trusted Christ at a young age and don't know what life is like without the Holy Spirit living in you, I know. And uh, he picked me up and shook me real hard, real hard. And my life changed that day and has continued to change from there. Um, I started, you know, I was discipled well and, and taught how to follow Jesus. Well, some of that was I realized pretty quickly that the Lord did not want me to uh, pursue uh, being a Naval officer that I I knew what that path was and it wasn't going to be good for my family. So I resigned my commission. I actually got in a car wreck in 2000. I got ruined by a drunk driver. I I wasn't really, I don't think brave enough to resign my commission. So Jesus hit me with a drunk driver, wrecked my back. And that was like, uh, you ain't getting it pal. So let it go. So I did, uh, two surgeries on my back later. Uh, they, they transferred me to San Diego and I was on a carrier for a little while. Anyways, uh, disciple well, found a great mentor there at that church. Who uh, helped me to really grow in my, uh, in not only in my understanding of Christ, but in uh, using my spiritual giftedness, which I think my primary gifting is teaching, honestly, and uh, leading. And so, when I got out of the Navy, they 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 kicked me out because of my back, and they're like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And and we really talked about it, and with good mentorship, I was like, "I, I think I want to go to seminary and be a pastor." So we moved to Phoenix for me to go to seminary. And um, I went to Phoenix SEM. Uh, I did their full MDiv in three years. I had to because of the VA. And so I started pastoring a church. We moved here at the end of 02. In November 03, I started pastoring a little bitty church in um, Maricopa, Mountain View Community Church, and uh, pastored there for three and a half years. Got out of seminary, graduated from seminary in 06. And then in 07, got hired at West Greenway. At the time it was West Greenway Baptist Church. And uh, we changed the name eventually to West Greenway Bible Church. And pastor wg from 2007 until 2018 so um and then when i i finally transitioned in 18 I started Aspen 2011, so that's right in the middle of all that. I also taught part-time both at um, Phoenix Seminary, where I graduated from. I was an adjunct professor there for about five years, and I also taught at the local Bible college for about nine years um, and taught everything in the Bible department there, from in- Bible intro to capstone theology uh, and everything in between. So, um And then um, when I started Aspen 2011, that was just a side hustle. I've always been one that's been entrepreneurial. So I've always had a little thing on the side to make a little extra money. Uh, In case most of your listeners don't know this, pastors don't tend to make a ton of money. And so (laughs) usually you've got to. And
0: the church moves very slowly as well. There's two things that are forgiven. Pastors don't make much money and the world moves slowly around them.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And so, you know, sometimes just to have a little extra money to buy Christmas presents for the kids and stuff like that, you got to have a side hustle. And mine was was teaching firearms for a while. But that grew. And so then eventually, 2018, I, um, I decided, um, you know, the reality was I... I love Jesus, so I didn't leave the faith when I left vocational ministry. Uh, in fact, Christ is closer than He's ever been. But um, in America, especially uh, being the pastor, you have two jobs that are side by side. You have to you have to take care of the flock, but you also have to run a nonprofit. and And this organization that you have to run takes up like ninety five percent of your time ninety ninety five. And I hated it, um, and I put up with it for a long time. But then after a while, I just realized I just hate this. I hate running the nonprofit. I hate being the CEO of a nonprofit. And, uh, so finally the Lord kind of whacked me upside the head and said, well, stop, you can still shepherd and be a shepherd of, of the sheep and you don't have to run the nonprofit. And so I uh, laid that down February 1st of 2018 and, and ASP has been my sole income and focus from there. And uh, I've told several friends recently and several of my former students who are taking kind of that same journey that you'll never get to do ministry. Like when you quit the, uh, getting that paycheck from church.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to say that as well, because one of the things, um, as a perception in my mind, and maybe because uh, also because I'm European, but what does it look like when you are the pastor of a church? There's very different um, size of churches and denominations mm-hmm. here in the US, but what's it like when you're the pastor of a church and your side hustle is teaching firearms? Because I know, you know, I sometimes support houses of worship with safety and i go in some churches and the pastor will like, Simon, I'm never having firearms in my church. Right. There's other pastors which are, which are carrying. So it's a very controversial Subjects. I guess what was it like doing those sort of two um, vocations, if you like, at the same same time?
1: You know, I think that it, it, it is controversial in some respects, but I think it's really denominational. It, it you know, you, when you come from an Anglican or a Methodist background, uh, like you say, you know, it's so prevalent in England, man, those two backgrounds in particular are, are going to be a much tougher road to hoe, uh, tend to be very, um, well, especially the Methodists, you know, coming out of Wesleyanism, coming out of, of Anabaptism are very, um, you know, uh, pacifistic Whereas um, my kind of background is more, you know, the church that I pastored for 11 years was Southern Baptist Convention affiliated, though I'm kind of not very Baptist. I'm more of a Bible church guy. And in that kind of non-denominational or Bible yeah. church or Southern Baptist flavor, it's much more accepted in the U.S. And, and I think somewhat there's that American pietistic um, self-preservationist mindset that's that's very Puritan, That's that's very... Um, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do and nobody's going to tell us otherwise. And I think that's kind of that American libertine streak of, you know, don't tell me what to do. So, you know, it, it was in some sense, a little controversial for some people. We did lose a couple families at the church who were like, I don't think the pastor should carry a gun, but, um, for the most part, people got it. It wasn't a gun church and it never was. And, you know, we have people from all walks of life and I didn't make a big deal about it. I didn't preach about the second amendment. We didn't stand up and say the pledge of allegiance. We didn't do any of that stuff. We worshiped Christ. Um, and everybody just knew that, look, if we had a problem, if we had that lightning strike where we had an active killer, their job was to get down and get out of my way. And I, I would take care of the problem. And then we had a few other folks who, who were part of that solution as well. So generally, it wasn't much of a, a thing. Um, eventually, as the business got bigger and the social media presence got bigger, every once in a while, people would show up. Who knew me from YouTube instead of yeah. wanting to just kind of, you know, worship, be there.
0: Worshipping you and not Jesus, maybe. Maybe
1: Jesus. a little bit and not, not very much. You know, we had one time where we let a film crew kind of. Uh, They said they would just kind of really sit in the background and just film kind of without any any kind of interruption what we were doing at worship service. And that was a debacle. And so we never uh, we never did that again. So, uh, you know, we said there's there's a no camera policy inside our worship center, because then that way that that kept that as a place where people could worship. So it it had its struggles, but by and large, people got it and they understood. And um, and so it really wasn't that big a deal. And, um, you know, kind of a bigger deal. It was kind of funny when I decided to resign as the senior pastor at WG. um, I really felt like that was what Jesus wanted me to do. But there was some consternation on the Internet because of that. Oh, wait a minute. You've sold out to the world. And I was like, Nah, man, I'm just trying to obey Jesus. I'm just trying to do what Jesus asks. And and that at this time meant stop taking a paycheck from church. And um, the cool part of that really is one of the big transitions there. You know, when you're in vocational ministry, Um, Most pastors are just scrapping for dollars all the time. You're always worried about budget. You're always worried about, you know, how are we going to fund everything? Not to put too fine a point on it, but how am I going to pay my paycheck and make sure my wife and kids get fed? Um, in, In 11 years at WG, I never made more money than the first day I showed up. It was nothing but pay cuts from there. And, uh, which was tough. And, uh, now as a business owner, I I go, no, man, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And when we have a need, when the kingdom of God has a need, he's got it. We just got to go find it. And, and so, uh, what a great change to be able to be a generator in the kingdom rather than, um, a receiver.
0: And so, you know, when I look at my own life, one of the things that I um often get most challenged by, and my pastor at my church goes to Westwood Community Church in Excelsior here, in Minnesota, and my pastor calls back God promptings and says, you know, um, God promptings are those, those little nudges where you say we're Jesus mm-hmm. and God attend you to do various different things. It's like, well. How do I know? Is this a God prompting or is this Simon's brain telling me what to do? So I mean, you took a very brave um, step to to leave the church. Mm. What did did it mean to you? How did you know that God was calling you to start your sort of your business as opposed to stay stay in ministry?
1: You know, I think, I, I think a lot of times people use that as an excuse, right? You know, God told me, and of course, as soon as they say, God told me, well, the discussion's over because I can't speak for God, right? If God already told you, that's fine. Uh, I, I really feel like, um, number one, what I did was, is that this was not something that was overnight. It wasn't, oh, I just have an idea. Let's go with it. Is that I had been running ask for seven years at that point, And, and we knew things were going. So before I ever quit at WG, um, I was, I was running WG, I was teaching at the local Bible college three quarters time, and I was running ASK. And I got so busy that my wife said, one of these has to go something's got to go and so that first step out was when i pulled up at school one day to teach class and i kind of just looked around and realized this isn't where i belong anymore um i'm not doing the kind of ministry that i want to here anymore i'm not having the kind of impact for the kingdom i want here anymore i'm constantly butting heads with the administration that the the president of the school like called me into his office one day because Um, of something that I said and did that was in the best interests uh, I feel of the work of God, but it frustrated him. So, um, you know, we had a big come to Jesus meeting um, there. So, so anyways, all that to say uh, it's water under the bridge. Now I let that go. And uh, kind of with, with WG, it was over the course of gosh, man, maybe a year and a half. So, so January of 17, I switched my full-time income to active self-protection and part-time at the church because the finances were hurting and, and this and that. And then, um, it was a lot of counsel, you know, it wasn't, it was a lot of prayer, a lot of discussions with my leadership, a lot of discussions with my mentors. So I'm huge on mentorship and, um, uh, you know, my mentor who has been with me since I started seminary, Dr. Fred Shea, who is currently, um, at Grace School of Theology and it runs their doctoral program there. Um, another mentor has been with me, the man who led me to Christ, uh, Dr. Keith Carell, um who is a pastor in Olympia, Washington and taught at Moody Bible Institute for a long while. And, and so there was a lot of discussion with my mentors. Here's where I see God at work. Here's where I don't see God at work. When I, when I look at my work at church, I get frustrated. I'm burnt out. I'm, I'm struggling. When I see the, the ministry, I'm getting to do it, active self-protection. It's a business, but I get to make disciples there. I get to see the work of God there. And so with a lot of counsel, my wife, the Holy Spirit uh, sounds like my wife an awful lot. Um, and, and many times he keeps me out of trouble by telling her what to do, yeah. you know, when we pray together. To look at it, yeah. Well, you know, I, I always say like, look, if we're one, if, if biblically, you know, I am her and she is me. And that's, that's, I think what scripture says Then if he speaks to her, it's just like talking to me.
0: Yeah, that, that so, is so true. But promptings don't always have to come um, to us; they can come to, to others about us, can't they? So yeah, and it's interesting because one of the things that struck me when I was sort of um, looking at—I think you said now you're getting like 39 million hits, you know, per week on on YouTube. <laughs> And one of the questions I wrote down is, you know, what are your reflections on that when, as a minister of a church in Arizona, you could have been reaching thousands? And it's, have that, it's that multiplication of that. You never know that, you know, the one person that you preach to goes on to become a Christ follower. they may even, you know, say the word to someone else. You know, So, so there is that multiplication through... Our faith and through being a pastor. But when you're hitting 39 million people week upon week, you know, I mean, that number is far greater than you might probably ever were hitting as a pastor of a church. I mean, do you ever reflect oh, yeah. on what, what what does that mean? I mean, was that the purpose that God wanted was to give you the rewards in the views? Because I reached out to you. I knew you were a Christian, but I also knew that you had an interesting um sort of background and want to share. But you know, maybe God is working in a different way than what you'd actually um, fought when you became a pastor?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I also believe, I mean, I, I'm I'm of the belief that uh, celebrity pastoring is part of the problem in America today, that when the talking head, you know, uh, we really can't shepherd. I, I believe the pastor should be at some level a shepherd. And, you can't shepherd more than about a hundred people is the reality of things. I mean, even that's really stretching it. I'd say 50 or 60. And so when you see a pastor like, oh, we've got a church of 10,000, you're not the pastor to 10,000 people. You might be the pastor to your staff at that point and their families. And then they turn around and pastor everybody else. You're just a talking head, a professional public speaker uh, who gives a, a professional public speech every week and, and those are different things. So, you know, at at the church that that I pastored at WG, we never got bigger than about 200 people. And at that, we would get to this place where, oh man, it was hard to connect everybody. Then we grow back down to hundred and back to 200, back down to hundred, back to 200. Maybe we could have done some things differently, but it just never, it never got much bigger than that because my model is I want to be able to shepherd people. Whereas with active self-protection, that's not really what I'm doing. I'm, I'm purposefully teaching the masses and giving information to the masses. And uh, I think some of the change was like, I mean, this was a couple of years ago. I started doing the videos on YouTube in 2016, <clears throat> early 17, the Lord was like, um, I was praying. And when, when the good person wouldn't make it out of the incident in the narrated video, which happens about 30% of the time on the channel, I would say, Hey, make sure you and God have a strong relationship because you'll need it on that day. And he kind of nudged me in prayer and was like, Hey man, you're being vague when you need to be specific here and you have specifics to give. And so, and I was like, okay, Lord, well, I'm trying to just start conversations here, but if you want me to be more specific then it's your work and it's your business. So then really I just made the change to say, you want to make sure you and Jesus have a strong relationship because you're going to need it on that day. And um, that was a good change. And it also, I think, kind of move the business in the direction more that I get to have more spiritual conversations and get to talk about Jesus in particular. So I I don't think that um, I've had many people ask me, well, do you feel like now you have a congregation of 2 million? No, no, I don't. In no way do I believe that, that ASP is a congregation. Uh, Instead, I get now to teach a lot and it does build some individual relationships that those individual relationships have at times blossomed into mentoring and into disciples. Um, and so it's given me the opportunity to help people that I probably wouldn't have the ability to invest the time in if I was pastoring in a local congregation.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, influence uh, people's lives. Um, John as well, I mean, um, that is, I think it's Life Church, where Craig crochelle I don't know if you know Craig Crushell from Life Church. Yeah, I think they're in 13 or 14 different states. You know, he's got a podcast that, that I listen to. And it was one of those, you know, greatly respected his podcast. It's a podcast on leadership, you know, listen to it well. And it was only one episode where he said one time, you yeah, know, I've just written this book. And for those non-believers, you know, I, I'm a pastor. So uh, this is what the book's around. Uh, and I was like, wait, what now? You, you're a pastor? And I, and I didn't even know. And he'd influenced my life you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a, as a sort of Christ follower. And I didn't even know he was a pastor because he'd never said it on his channel ever, you know, on, on the episodes that I'd listen to. Yeah, on his podcast.
1: That's funny. So it was
0: only only when he sort of said in his podcast, Hey, I've written this book, but if anyone's a non-believer, I'm going to tell you what it's about. And, I guess in a way, you know, you're, you're very similar, but you are influencing a lot of people in this, um, sort of social media way and could be just by your nature calling them into, into faith. Because like I said, you know, you, you interviews I've seen with you, you know, you don't hide your faith, but you don't make a big play on, on, this isn't a sermon. This is about, you know, sort of defensive encounters. So that's, that's really, really intriguing.
1: Yeah. And what we try to do is we go to shows. I mean, obviously not right now with Corona, but you know, um, year by year we go to trade shows and, and we make it a point to go in there. Like a wrecking ball, pray with people in their booths, get to know people on an individual basis. One of my employees, Samuel, uh, the director of our instructor certification, is a pastor in Washington as well. And so the staff has a a very Christ-centered focus, and and we we go in and we make no bones about, hey, we're here as followers of Christ. And if you're not, I'm totally cool with that, and I have plenty of friends who aren't Christ followers. But I am, and I'm going to do the best I can at that. And you know, I have friends in the industry who are all kinds of uh, beliefs and none. You know, atheists, strong atheists, Odinists. Uh, Norse mythology, Wiccans, um, you know, with several witches I, I have friendships with. Um, I have a strong uh, relationship with a lot of people in the LGBT community. Um, I have a lot of those relationships in different places that a lot of people are like, oh, John, you know, are you comfortable there? Because my Christian friends, by and large, have retreated into their own subculture, and and I'm like, nah, man, I, I'm I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be more like the Apostle Paul and out among those who don't know Christ, and being his hands and feet there. And I find for me right now that is a much better place than congregating with the holy huddle.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is very true. I've got a few friends that, you know, say they're atheists, but then they ask me too many questions to suggest that they're not intrigued by, it, you know, some, I mean, it's, you, you never know, gentle gentle nudges. But, you know, one thing which is strong throughout your background, John, is this sort of protector nature, you know, you said you spent time in the Navy and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, active self-protection. I mean, when, when did you really know, there's always two types of people, and I found this in law enforcement, there's those that run towards the danger, that's probably me and you. And as people that have sort of, you know, run away from the danger, um, when when did you know that you're a person that wanted to be a protector and, and sort of run towards the danger to help others?
1: You know that's a good question. I think that uh, so I grew up around firearms. My grandpa uh, and my dad both hunted, so I grew up hunting a little bit. I grew up shooting, but uh, and then I joined the Navy not because I wanted to be a meat-eating crime fighter or right the wrongs of the world. It was just a good job, quite frankly. It was a way to, to get to college without debt, and and so the Navy college fund was a big deal to me. <clears throat> and so it wasn't until I really got out, and then I went to seminary, and I um, enjoyed every bit. Well. Okay. I tolerated parts of that journey, but it was a good journey. The Lord grew me big there. Um, And then I think the Lord made me as a shepherd, you know, and when I really embraced that, when I really started studying, what does a shepherd do and studying the life of David uh, in particular? And uh, and of course, Jesus, the good shepherd, that, that a good shepherd feeds the flock, he leads the flock, but he also protects the flock. And, you know, David, when he's talking to King Saul, when, when, when Goliath is, is, you know, ravaging the people and saying, you know, come on fight me and nobody will fight him. they're all scared of him. And Dave was like, man, I fought a bear when a bear tried to catch one of the lambs. Like, Hey man, I don't want to fight a bear, but come on, buddy. And I fought a lion. And when that lion stood up against me, I slew him. And and David was a shepherd. He knew how to protect too. And that's when I was like, okay, all right. If that's what David is, I can be that guy too. And uh, the funny part was I started carrying a firearm because I was working in retail management, um, while I was in seminary and, uh, I was working in video game store and the Xbox 360 and PlayStation three came out and managers in my town were getting mugged hurt for them because they were going on eBay for big money. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. So bought my first handgun, took my CCW class, put it on my hip. And at the same time, my son, who's now a grown man and a Navy veteran himself, um, lives in Virginia with his wife. And, um, he said he was a little guy. He's like, Papa, come and take karate with me. And, uh, so long story short, I started, I was like, I was going to do that for a couple months just so that he and I had that thing in common, you know, it was a cool thing. It was his homeschool extracurricular and I fell in love with it. So here I am 14 and a half years later. Um, and then once you're, competence starts to come up i'm a teacher at my core and so i'm like well i better start teaching people so i think it was mostly a gradual thing i think to answer your question it wasn't that day when i was like you know man i'm i'm a i'm a fighter i'm i'm that because i'm really not i'm i'm a lover i want to talk and i go hey i'm a man of peace let's let's have peace and let's get along but i also will defend my boundaries and if you uh i always tell folks that in my martial arts training also in my um handgun stuff that if you stick your hand in a blender how are you going to get that hand back? It's coming back bloody and broken, right? And you don't blame the blender for that. And so if you overrun my boundaries, if you decide you're going to harm me, you're sticking your hand in the blender and don't blame me for what happened. Uh, and that's kind of my approach to yeah, it. I don't say
0: about that. John, sadly, is it's 2020 there's people in society that will blame the blender. The it's true; them, they'll say, "Well, that blender
1: shouldn't have been there."
0: Yeah, they'll blame um, the manufacturer of the blender. But I, I get you what you point. It, it, it is very, it is very true, and it's it, it's interesting you hear and say that because that's quite often. You know, there is a, a turning point in people's lives when you think, "Well, when when did I realize I was a sort of stand up to be to be counted?" And again, you know, in in the training that you're doing, blessing and helping others, you know, you're making other people become those defenders when there is a call to be to be a defender. You know. So, and, and sort of being a very um, sensible minded um, defender is, is key uh, in the world that we live in today.
1: I think it is. And I think, you know, the big thing I think right now, um, as I'm reading, you know, part of my um, devotion this year, every day I get up, read my scripture. Um, we just I just read through the book of Proverbs as part of my uh, daily devotions <clears throat> and try to read through all the scripture every year. And And in Proverbs, there's this big focus on not being a fool. And, uh, you know, that, that the prudent hides themselves from danger, but the fools rush in and pay the consequence, you know? And, and so I try to teach people prudence as well. And the good, sane, sober, moral person, you know, you gotta be Ned Flanders. And, um, you know, for, for those, anybody who doesn't know that's from the Simpsons, right? Yeah. yeah, The good neighbor from the Simpsons, the good, sane, sober, moral person the prudent man. And, and that involves a lot of de-escalation, a lot of escape, a lot of evasion, a lot of not using force unless you absolutely have to. And, and I think that's wise and honors the Lord. And that says, I'm the adult in the room. I'm the one who wants to be the, the my biggest thing. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus here. Now, recognize that in Jesus's world, uh, making the whip of cords and flipping a table is on the table. It's not, out, it's not unheard of. He's done it and um but jesus does reserve his biggest ire for overly religious people who think they want to keep others out Uh, but jesus is a man of peace but also very strong and completely unwilling to um, let the oppressed and the marginalized not have their voices heard so I, i try to just emulate him everywhere i go
0: yeah and you know when i look at your um social media um numbers you know, when we look at the uh, sort of, I think you said like 30, did you say 39 million or 29? I can't remember the number you said. Uh,
1: this was, last, so the last 30 days, we've had about 29 million 29 views, and that's –
0: So when you're looking at that, I mean, that is like their celebrity numbers. I mean, I I sit here, I I, I don't even, I I can't even think about what it would look like to have that type of stuff. You know, no one's even going to listen to me enough to to get there. Never say never, man. You never know where it comes from. I should never say (laughs) never. You never know. But I guess what strikes me about that is, you know, you are such a humble guy and down to earth. And even before the recording, you know, me and you are just like, I'm talking, I, I feel like I've sort of, knowing you forever we've been talking for like 30 minutes and even before we're talking but how do you as a pastor how do you say um you know man of faith how do you stay humble um knowing that you know you have such a, a sort of a unique um following it must be very difficult to not allow that to sort of go to to your head I mean I'm just trying to contextualize what I might be like with it I mean what does that mean for you how, how do you deal with that type of fame that comes with it?
1: the writer. You know, I think that number one, you recognize that the only reason I'm here is because Jesus put me here. And so it's Jesus's business, not mine. It's his glory, not mine. And so um, when you try to make a name for yourself you try to glorify yourself, then uh, Jesus said pride comes before the fall. So you try to recognize it's his work. Um, and you do that. Secondly, I always think about, you know, the Roman generals, when they would come home from a big victory, right? And they'd have these big parades to laud them. And I get a lot of fans, you know, I got people, we go to a trade show and people want to come up, say, hi, shake my hand, take a selfie. That's all great. Um, you know, but those generals always had somebody standing behind them, reminding them, you know, they call that the memento Mori, right? Remember you are mortal. Uh, you're not all that in a bag of chips. And so, um, I have that number one, you know, uh, on my staff, my CEO, Stephanie, you know, she's always reminding me, I ain't all that. And I have work to do like anybody else. And, um, and, and number two, uh, I joke that, like when we go to conferences and stuff like that. Guess what? I get my turn washing dishes just like everybody else does. Yeah. And um, and I think that that really helps. Uh, I think also, probably bigger than anything else, my theology has helped me to, to keep that because. I think that um, one of the biggest things that um, Dr. Shea and Dr. Carell taught me is that the correct model of leadership that Jesus taught is uh, is inverted, is upside down. You know, in John chapter thirteen, Jesus, the one who was I mean, he's the God of the universe, right? He is the, the one who deserves all glory and fame and honor. And he takes off his robe, puts on uh, a towel and washes the feet of his disciples. So his model of leadership is upside down, that the more leadership you accept, you give up rights and you pick up responsibilities. You... Um, you know, the only reason you might get a privilege, like, okay, somebody else is going to cook you dinner or something is because you have other service to do, not because you're a big deal. And so that doing that as a pastor and and not, I'm the pastor, I'm a big deal. No, man, I'm the pastor. I serve everybody, um, yeah. in the same way. Okay. So yeah, I've got a big YouTube presence, but that means I serve everybody. That means I have to be, um, extra careful to recognize everybody, um, that comes into contact with my stuff. Is depending on this to be good stuff. And so I have to serve them. And and I think that that really helps. It, it's something that I that I definitely struggle with every day. Um I'm a very confident person. Once God, uh, I think once I think I'm there. If you know the Myers-Briggs personality type, I'm like a prototype E S-T-J. And uh in that, the whole world would be better if people just listened to me, you know. And and so, it
0: comes with being a man, John, as well. That's a challenge.
1: <laughs> it's true, right? And then, yeah, yeah. so, so that's a constant thing. And my wife helps me with that. My wife will sometimes tap me on the shoulder and go, "A little arrogant, babe. maybe. Maybe a little full of yourself. Maybe listen a little bit better and talk a little bit less." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me shut up. Let me listen. You know. <laughs> um. And and I also think that I try not to be an ideologue. I try not to be somebody who my way is the only way. I think you know, in 2020, for instance, you know, the U.S. has been filled with. With significant discussions of race and inequality and racism and does it exist? And uh, and I'm trying not to say here's my way and here's this, but rather listen. Tell me why you feel that way. Tell me about your experience. Tell me what that is. And read widely outside of my comfort zone. Gosh, I've read more books this year that I disagree with and caused me just a you know a cognitive dissonance than I can shake a stick at. Um, and, and I think all that I, I think is what Jesus uses to keep me humble.
0: Yeah, and what I what I see with you as well I heard this recently I come in where it was and I don't think it was scripture I think someone just said but it's not how much you have is what you do with it and I think that mm. is you know you've been blessed with a, with an awful lot but you know you're doing some great work in it in inspiring others so I mean that is uh you know like I said I heard that it's not what you have it's what you do with it it's taken me a long time in my life to to, to get to that point as well because you know you, yeah, I think... you see other things envy is a big thing that we all suffer from so I mean that that is a challenge I, I mean, like, it is you've got the when you're at the top it's interesting to get what someone's perspective
1: well i think the other part of that too is i think you get to a place where you start to say okay so like i want to make some more money or you know i want my business to be bigger i want to have a bigger following or whatever but instead like you know at the start of this year before corona even hit you know i was talking to steph my ceo and, and and i was like okay so what i really want to set a goal for this year is how much money can we raise for the kingdom of god you know how much can we do to see god's work done and in doing that um then everything else will take care of itself. So we have to do well in order to do that. So uh, you know, our national conference last year, we we gave that entirety of that to the Flint Hills foster teen camp that uh, does uh, work in the foster community and abused and abandoned foster teens in, in Kansas. Uh, you know, hosting classes this year for swap ministries, which rescues underage girls from sex slavery in the name of Christ. And I think that's just an incredible ministry that I want to support. So you know, I think when you focus on those things, how much kingdom building can we do? Um, then the other stuff. I mean, who cares? Okay, so I've got two million, well, I think you know, 2.4 million followers across all the platforms now. Um, yay, what does that matter? And the end of things, yeah. that you know, my tombstone's not gonna say he was famous on the YouTubes. You know, yeah. if that's what it says, well, then you fail, man.
0: Yeah. I just want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I've often won as well. I was watching a YouTube influencer um, last week, I think it was, and she had like 10 or 15 million followers. And she's like, you know, you know, actually, this is quite difficult because when you go for a loan or something at the bank you and you say YouTube influencer, it's not really a recognized career by them. So she was making a bit of joke about it, but, but it is true. I mean, you know, I hope you're not going to have a YouTuber across your, your tombstone. I think there's other things that you've done, John, that would, um, might be better than <laughs> uh, the YouTube numbers. But an interesting point I wrote down, out of my notes here I want to sort of get from you is that, you know, when when everything goes well in our life it's very easy we look forward but very rarely, rarely do we re, sort of reflect back and I guess if you look at your sort of transformation and move into um sort of uh, safety um defensive encounters and then your time in the in the church what do you look back on and say I wish that had happened slightly differently or I wish I'd wow. just done this instead I mean what is what is the one thing that might niggle you like everyone else thinking I wish I'd wish I'd just done this
1: you know, there's, there's a bunch of things that I go, man, if I could go back and do that again with hindsight, with knowing the, the reality of things, I would do different. But, you know, <clears throat> um, I, I always say this to people all the time. There's no hope for a better past. There's just no hope. It is what it is. And I think one of the ways that I try to live for Jesus is a radical acceptance of reality, a radical acceptance of what is and what went in the past. So, I mean, there are several relationships that I wish that I could do differently that I knew in advance that I could protect my loved ones from harm. Um, you know, my wife and I, my family, we've dealt with mental illness in significant ways. I think people think, oh, John just did the pastor thing and then he's in the YouTube thing. And now, you know, it's just nothing but roses. I can tell you 2017, 18, 19 were some of the hardest years of my life. I cried more tears. I spent more time on my knees. We, we did, uh, I think, 13 inpatient mental health care trips uh, with our children over those years. Um, more suicide attempts than I can shake a stick at. We've we've fought that battle tooth and nail, uh, and and so far successfully. Thank you, Jesus. And um, you know, uh, so you know, yeah. Okay, fine. There's there's a bunch of things that I, I wish I could go back and go. Let me you know, let me set this way instead of that way. But the reality is, God has used all those to make me who I am, and to make me see Him in the way that I see Him. And I don't know if I would otherwise. So I wouldn't change a thing, even the hard stuff, because it, it taught me how big Jesus is. And I I got a line here from uh, Mel Gibson of all people, you know, um, Mel's had a real interesting walk with Jesus. And if you watch him from, even from the time he made the passion of the Christ and whatever, and he's been an odd figure and he's had a lot of crazy stuff, but, um, it wasn't even what Mel said, but it was what Robert Downey Jr. said. Uh, if you watched robert downey jr of course crashed in 99 was arrested now he's iron man right so he's back on top of the world but when he was at his lowest mel gibson took him in and and gave him a role in a movie that he'd written for himself and then told him listen man go do the hard work and just hug the cactus embrace the suffering and hug the cactus and and God will use it for his glory. And I have just adopted that, that when times get tough, I'm not going to run from that tough stuff. I'm going to absolutely sit here and hug this cactus and, and lean into it and see what God does with it.
0: Yeah, and I realize, I'm going to have to use that expression: hug the cactus. I mean, that—that mm-hmm. is—that is true, isn't it? Is embrace the pain. Um, you know, go off and say, "For this is the day the Lord has made; let us rejoice and be glad in it." You know, it is very hard when you're in the moment, but the Lord has made this day, and it's what we make of it is is really what counts. So,
1: and, and I, I think rejoicing in it doesn't mean ignoring the fact that it sucks to hug the cactus. Yeah. Right. That when you hug that cactus, you say, no, this is where God has me for the moment. And this hurts, but I can still rejoice that he's present here, even in this pain. Uh, and it doesn't mean I have to be Pollyannish. It doesn't mean I have to wear rose colored glasses. It doesn't mean I need to have a positive mental attitude. And, you know, let's look for the bright side of this. No, this is miserable. But Jesus, you know, Hebrews tells us that, that he as a son was made perfect through suffering. And, and the ability to do that and, to, and to h- that cactus and lean into the pain, I think makes us more like Christ.
0: Yeah, it does. not John, as we start to wrap up our time here, so tell us what you're up to next. What What is next for active yeah. self-protection?
1: You know, it's a good question, man. Uh, I, I told our, our CEO, Stephanie, this a couple of weeks ago, we've been talking and I feel like we're maybe in, a, in another uh, time of, of transition and turning another corner. And I don't know what it's going to quite look like. We have had, several, uh, discussions with, uh, networks on TV shows and I'm not set on doing TV. I'm not set on doing you know, a, a streaming deal on, on one of the major platforms, but we're talking about it. Uh, we had one that was real close before Corona hit and then that made a mess of everything in terms of programming. And, um, we've had other, other in- inquiries from there and I don't know, I don't know quite where that's going to go. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And, I think you're going to see something like that. Um, I've definitely started getting into um, expert witness work. Hmm. And uh, um, so now um, I kind of am stepping from this place now where I am a trusted advisor on YouTube to where I am a national subject matter expert on use of force and on the realities of criminal violence and firearms use and those things. So um, I think that's where we're going to see more and more of that. I'm starting to get calls from, Um, regional, national, even um, networks that are saying, hey, we want somebody who's a use of force expert to come and talk about this and uh, to understand some of these things, uh, particularly in police uses of force. And I mean, of course, those are huge right now with, you know, from George Floyd on um, that, okay, is this reasonable or is this not? And so I think we're going to definitely see that and we're just going to keep training good, sober people, good, sane, sober, moral folks on how to protect themselves and their loved ones and, and try to be a voice that says to America and the world, um, let's back off from the brink of balkanization. Let's let's figure out a way to uh, encourage one another to talk through our differences, to um, live in them, in that tension, and and love each other well. So we'll see what God does in the next few years.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to see. You. And like I said, I'm really um, blessed and honored that you took the time um, to talk to me. And yeah, like I said, you know, the the amount of views that you get on YouTube, the amount of followers, it's very easy for someone like me to get like envious and say, hell, I'd love to be where, where John is, but maybe that isn't my path. But what I love about it is that when I reached out to you and your team, you know, you've been very respectful um, in in replying to my emails and giving me the time and sharing some of your your views and reflections so for that I'll be forever, forever grateful I'm sure there's many people just say no I'm not going to talk to to this guy or too busy but everything I've seen about you John is just very very humbled um, you know you've given me the time um, we've had a great conversation so I'm really pleased that you took the time to join me on um, who I became so thank you
1: well, thank you for the encouragement. I really appreciate that. I, I am, I'm blessed indeed to have the staff that I have. They're incredible people, and um, they make me look good uh, every day. So, and and it's my pleasure. I think that the more that we can um, help people, then awesome. And and seeing the kingdom of God build. I mean, let's be real, Simon. At the end of the day, active self protection is not going to go to the kingdom of God. But you are, and I am. And so, the more that we can encourage one another and and help people see Jesus, hey, we win.
0: Great. Thank you for joining me, John.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.